This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. On occasion, we have an episode that we feel requires a more direct statement. This is one such episode. This episode includes depictions of extreme graphic violence, violence against children, and sexual assault. Please check the episode description for a more detailed list. Let's begin. Episode 26, The Velisca Axe Murder House. As they stood in front of the notorious Velisca Axe Murder House, Price couldn't help but to feel slightly disappointed. The house was much smaller and less elegant than he had imagined. This is it? He asked the group. Carter looked over at him as Joe and Sarah stared at the upstairs windows. What did you expect? asked Carter. It was literally over a hundred years ago. Were you expecting a mansion? Price muttered something to himself and continued walking towards the front door. The others followed, a few paces behind him. He proceeded to knock on the door, and they were met by the house caretaker, Johnny. You must be the Cryptid Corner Paranormal Team. Uh, we actually do not go by that name anymore, said Joe. Yeah, we are now the Gone Ghost and Paranormal Group. Sarah chimed in as Johnny invited them inside. So, how much do you know of the story? Johnny asked the group as they sat around a small circular table just inside the first floor room adjacent to the entrance. Well, we know the basics, Carter said as he sat staring at Johnny across the table. Alright, I just want you to know what you're getting yourselves in for. So, the story goes. On the night of June 9th, 1912... The Moore family attended a Children's Day service at the local Presbyterian church. Along with the family, they invited neighboring children Ina and Lena Stillinger along with them. Children's Day was an end-of-the-year Sunday school program where the children performed speeches and recitations. The Moore family mother, Sarah, was a co-director. The service ended and the family stayed and mingled till about 9.30pm before making the journey back home. They made the three block trip back home under the cool and damp summer night sky, completely unaware of what was in store for them later that night. The neighboring children, Ina and Lena, begged to spend the night. After some time persuading the parents, the children were allowed to have a sleepover. All six children four of the Moore children, and the two Stillinger children, all retired for the night after having some milk and cookies. The next morning, one of the neighbors, Mary Peckham, felt concerned as the normally lively house was still and quiet. Even at 7.30 in the morning, the house seemed out of the ordinary. She decided to call Ross. 
the father of the house Joe's brother. He too became concerned. At about 8 a.m. that morning, Ross inserted his key into the front door, unaware of the horrors he would uncover. Ross entered the house, slowly making his way around the downstairs rooms. He found two figures in the back bedroom, covered in a sheet, with blood staining the headboard in the surrounding area. He immediately ran to the nearest phone and called Ed's Hardware, instructing employee Ed Sully to fetch Marshall, Henry, Hank, Horton, because something terrible had happened. Hank arrived about 8.30 and went through the house. After investigating the scene, he reported to Ross, Somebody murdered in every bed. A partially cleaned murder weapon was left leaning against the south wall of the downstairs bedroom, where the visiting Stillinger girls were found. Johnny proceeded to explain. The killer left behind a four-pound slab of bacon leaning against the wall, next to the axe. The murderer also searched the dresser drawers for pieces of clothing to cover the mirrors in the house and glass in the entry doors. On the kitchen table was a plate of uneaten food and a bowl of bloody water. All the victims were found in their beds, their heads covered with bedcloths, and all their skulls battered 20 to 30 times with the blunt end of an axe, rendering each face fully unrecognizable. The day following the grisly murders, a reverend by the name of Reverend Lynn George Jacqueline Kelly left Villisca on board the westbound number 5 train and allegedly told fellow travelers there were eight dead souls back in Villisca, Iowa, butchered in their beds while they slept, even though the bodies had not been discovered yet. Kelly had arrived in Villisca for the first time the Sunday morning of the murders and attended a Sunday school performance by the Stillinger girls before departing early Monday. He returned two weeks later, and posing as a detective, joined a tour of the murder house with a group of investigators. Authorities first became interested in Reverend Kelly a few weeks after the murders, after being alerted by recipients of his rambling letters. Kelly, the son and grandson of English ministers, had suffered a mental breakdown as an adolescent. Since immigrating to America with his wife in 1904, Kelly had preached at Methodist churches across North Dakota, Minnesota, Kansas, and Iowa. He had been assigned as a visiting minister to several small communities north of Villisca, where he developed a reputation for odd behavior. He'd also been convicted of sending obscene material through the mail and had spent time in a mental hospital. A grand jury indicted Kelly for Lena Stillinger's murder and he was interrogated throughout the summer of 1917 while in jail awaiting trial. On August 31st at 7 a.m., Kelly signed a confession to the murder, saying God had whispered to him, Suffer the children to come unto me. Kelly recanted his confession at trial, and his case went to the jury on September 26th. The jury deadlocked 11 to 1 for acquittal. A second jury was immediately called, but acquitted, Reverend Kelly in November. No one else had ever been tried for the murders, and the crime remains one of the most horrific, unsolved mass murders in American history. It is said that the town allowed over a hundred people to tour the house while the bodies were still in it, 
each were able to wield the axe, attempting to recreate the crime scene, further contaminating the evidence. Sarah sat up in her seat, feeling goosebumps overtake her arms and cheeks. Something about the situation didn't sit right with her. If you guys are ready, I'll leave you to it. You can get comfortable and show yourselves around the house, Johnny continued. The group agreed and went outside to fetch the rest of their gear as Johnny left. The house was drafty and cool and smelled a bit like mildew and stale cigarettes. It almost rolled off the nose as they went from room to room, getting acquainted with their surroundings. They placed cameras in each room to cover the entire house and any movement that would be detected throughout the night. As they made their way through the house, they recreated the scene to put it all together. They started in the parents' bedroom, and then went to the bedroom the four more children slept in, and ended up downstairs in the spare bedroom where the Stillinger girls slept. In each room, they theorized how the killer stood and was assumed to have moved from person to person. Gash marks were found on the walls and ceilings where the blade of the axe made contact between swings. While standing in the downstairs spare bedroom, Carter felt something press into his back. He stood away from the group next to the bed facing the others. The feeling caused him to immediately jump and run to the others. Through panic and excitement, he exclaimed, I swear to God, I just felt something press against my back. He pulled up his shirt, exposing a large red blemish in the small of his back where he felt the pressure against it. This excited the others. I think we are in for one heck of a night, replied Price. They took a few minutes to review notes left from the previous investigators that had been in the house. Most of the notes stated evidence was inconclusive. However, there were several reports of being touched or hearing things. There were also several reports of children's voices being picked up in EVP sessions, which further supported the activity in the house. By this time, the group was ready. They started in the downstairs bedroom. Upon walking in, they placed a cat ball on the ground and stood watching it, asking if anything that was in the room could touch it and make the lights flash. All of a sudden, it started flashing repeatedly. This excited the group. Joe, who was staring into the closet, let out a gasp. Did you see that? There was a light in the closet. No way. Sarah responded as they turned the camera to film the inside of the closet, but the light was gone. They then placed another cat ball in the closet where the light came from. At that point, the REM pod sitting in the doorway of the bedroom started going off, pointing to the closet. Simultaneously, the cat ball in the closet started flashing rapidly. Carter ran to the REM pod and asked, Do you want us to follow you? In response, the opposite light on the REM pod illuminated pointing in the direction of the hallway. It wants us to follow, Sarah replied. The group walked upstairs and sat the REM pod in the doorway of the room at the end of the hall. The light immediately illuminated and played the feedback sound. The light pointed in the direction of the attic doorway. The group then sat the music box in the doorway of the attic. After a few seconds, it started playing. No one could believe how much activity they were getting right away. To make sure the pod wasn't going off by mistake, Price sat it in the doorway of the attic. Instantly it started buzzing, and the light closest to the attic entrance illuminated. No way, Joe exclaimed. Carter then moved the music box into the hallway, 
pointed in the direction of the attic and entrance to the bedroom at the end of the hall. The rest of the group backed away behind it. They asked if someone could walk in front of it to cause it to start playing. No sooner than they asked, the music box started playing and continued playing as they all stood there in disbelief. This was some of the most consistent evidence they had gotten from their investigations, and they had only been there for a short period of time. What if it's energy that's stuck in the area, like residual activity where it continues in a pattern? Sarah asked the others. Yeah, it's probably following the same pattern or path it initially took that night, replied Price. After the music box went off and a period of inactivity from the REM pod, they decided to go into the bedroom of John and Sarah Moore. This time, they decided to use their flashlight to ask yes or no questions. They sat the flashlight on the dresser, placed the REM pod on the floor next to the bed, and placed the geophone on the bed. They stood there just chatting for a few minutes, and all of a sudden, the flashlight turned on randomly. This caught them off guard. Did someone just turn the flashlight on? If so, turn it back off for us, Carter requested. At that moment, the flashlight turned off, and the rim pod started buzzing, and all the lights illuminated, as though someone was standing right over it. The geophone on the bed displayed a decrease in temperature and one of the lights flashed on it, indicating there was a vibration on the bed, but no one was sitting on the bed with it. That's where he was swinging the axe, Price yelled excitedly. Look, it's going back and forth. They all stood watching as the lights went back and forth, side to side, on the REM pod. As they stood there, excited and shocked by the activity they were getting, the flashlight on the dresser turned on and then back off. Did you get that? Sarah asked Joe as he held the camera in the direction of the flashlight. I definitely got it, Joe replied. The flashlight turned back on and remained on for a few minutes as the REM pod continued buzzing and illuminated. Can you turn off the REM pod? asked Carter. In an instant, the REM pod immediately shut off. Carter jumped back as the rest of the group watched in disbelief. Whoever or whatever was there was playing with them. The flashlight turned off once again, catching them off guard. Price looked toward the camera. You may think we are overreacting right now, but you have no idea how rare it is for these devices to turn on so easily. This isn't the usual activity we get. Sometimes we go hours without anything. It was at this point the group came to a realization. The REM pod initially responded and pointed towards the attic, and then shifted the lights in the direction of the parents' bedroom. After moving the pod into the room next to the bed, the lights went back and forth, side to side. It was though it was recreating the scene. Showing us the path the killer took, exclaimed Joe from behind the camera. At this point, the group became very excited and thrilled to continue the investigation and see if the rest matched what they had gotten so far. They then moved their gear into the next room, which is the room the more children slept in. If there are any spirits in here with us, give us a sign, requested Sarah. They stood there, waiting for something to happen. After a few minutes, they checked to make sure they had positioned everything and turned the devices back on. They waited a while longer, and still, no activity was witnessed. They then repositioned their devices to where there was a piece of equipment in every corner. Price proceeded to ask. We ask again. 
If this is the correct room the killer came in after leaving the parents' room, give us a sign. They stood there for another ten minutes before Joe decided to ask, Do you want us to leave? All of a sudden, the REM pod started buzzing and illuminated. Carter was standing next to it at the time and jumped in response. When they checked which light had illuminated on the pod, it was facing the doorway, almost suggesting they leave the room. I say we go check out the attic. If there is enough residual energy built up, maybe we can get something out of the spirit box, Carter suggested. They set up their equipment in the attic and all sat next to each other at one end, facing the attic doorway. Price sat with headphones in hand while they put the rim pod in the middle of the room. Sarah asked quietly, Before we start, is there anyone in here with us? The rim pod then illuminated and buzzed. Now turn it off, Joe demanded. The pod then turned off. Yeah, I think we're ready, Price responded as he positioned the headphones snugly around his ears and sat blindfolded. If you are here, can you make yourself known? asked Carter. Price began to spit out words. Some seemed to reply to their answers. Some weren't quite anything of importance. They stopped asking questions as Price continued to say aloud what he was hearing in the headphones. He then muttered the phrase, Is he with you? The group asked, Is who with you? Price replied, Me. All of a sudden, the sound of a door being slammed came from downstairs. This surprised everyone. They also smelled an almost metallic scent that seemed to fill the air around them. Joe and Carter got up to see if they could find anything. They made their way downstairs as the others called behind them. The REM pod and music box are going off right now. As they continued looking downstairs, Sarah yelled to them, Guys! Something is coming down the stairs. Joe and Carter immediately ran to the stairs, but found nothing. They continued back up to the attic to check on the others. They had been sitting in the dark, just talking, and waiting on the other two to return. They proceeded to explain what had happened. While Joe and Carter were downstairs, they weren't getting any activity. Price then asked, Do you want us to leave? At that point, the music box facing inside the doorway went off. A second later, the music box facing the staircase went off. It was like it left the room and headed downstairs, Sarah continued. And as soon as we yelled to tell you it was coming downstairs, the music box in the doorway here went back off, like it came back in the room. They all sat there, unsettled at this point. Do you want us to leave or go downstairs? Carter asked. In response, the music box at the staircase started playing. They immediately grabbed their gear and ran downstairs and into the room the Stillinger girls slept the night of the murders. As they stood in the middle of the room, the music box in the doorway started playing and continued for well over a minute. The only way for that to happen is for someone literally standing in the doorway, blocking it, Price said, feeling uneasy. They removed the sheet covering the mirror and window in the room and decided to try the Estes method one final time. However, instead of Price, Joe decided to be the one to listen and call out what they had heard. I think he was right here, 
he said almost immediately as he sat blindfolded and listening to the headphones, followed by, Cold, please, walk away. At that moment, the REM pod in the middle of the floor began to buzz and illuminate in the direction of the door. Who was here? Price asked. Was it the Reverend Kelly? Only he would be able to get away with it, Joe exclaimed. That is literally what I just heard, clear as day, he proceeded to go on. Lies. Trust him. Kill him. I enjoyed it. Joe threw the headphones from his ears and jumped in his seat. This is too crazy, he complained. Price volunteered to listen again. He immediately started muttering random words and phrases, but nothing of importance. The rim pot on the floor continued buzzing and illuminated. Out of the corner of her eye, Sarah saw the cat ball in the closet start flashing. Guys, look! As she motioned to the closet, Price continued. Train. Implications. Who are we speaking to? asked Carter. You know, replied Price. The entire group gasped in shock. Run. I had to run. It was worth it, continued Price. Carter asked again, Who are you? You know, replied Price once more. He then removed the headphones from his ears and uncovered the blindfold from his eyes. Did any of that make sense, he asked the group. You were literally responding to my questions, Carter said to him. So it had to be either Paul Miller or Reverend Kelly. They both got on and off the train. They were both obviously crazy, explained Joe. I still think it was the Reverend, Price said in response. They sat for a few more minutes analyzing the results of using the spirit box, and all determined there was no way to know for sure if it was Reverend or Paul Miller. There were too many supporting facts between the two to fully make a decision. In that moment, the REM pod, music box, flashlight, and the cat ball in the closet all turned on. The room instantly felt several degrees cooler. From the closet, they heard a faint childlike whisper say, He is here. All of a sudden, all their equipment went off and the room went dark. They quickly grabbed one of the flashlights and picked up their equipment and headed towards the exit. They felt like they had to get out of the house as quickly as possible. They couldn't describe just how intense the activity was in that house. However, it was some of the best and most solid evidence they had collected from any investigation that they had done. They knew this house would stick with them forever. And it did. Welcome, campers, to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We're your hosts... I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now the debrief. Let's get into it. All right. So, uh, yeah, what do you think? The. Okay. So, obviously, haunting cases are always going to border on true crime. Yeah, that's right. So, that's one of the <laughs> downsides about this, and it's a little true crimey for sure. Sure. And that's okay. I mean, a big part of discussing hauntings is discussing exactly. what causes hauntings, yeah. right? And that's typically violence, right? Some kind of some kind of terrible incident that right. usually so leads there's, to there's it. a cause, you know. So, and it's I think it's worth 
explaining the cause to develop like a background, right? Yeah, definitely. And just to get into what really causes hauntings. Yeah, true, true. Right. I mean, you know, in most hauntings, it's caused by some suppressed or like some like remaining trauma or something that's within the area that stayed. And so, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, they're, they're literally, that explains every single haunting. So, yeah, <laughs> most know? of them. And it's worth kind of exploring what has led to that. What caused that trauma? What caused, like, you know, those, like, yeah. res- residual feelings and everything? For sure. Like, okay, so fun fact I was peripherally aware of this case only. Okay. Because, like, a year ago or so for school, I actually wrote a research paper on James Newton Wilkerson, which was a fellow who he was like an investigator. Okay. He worked for one of the like private investigator and investigation right. firms of the era. And he actually, I mean, yeah, that'd be, he got early, early. Yeah. yeah. And he got called in for this case. Oh, that's cool. Actually. Nice. But he was, I like I wrote about him as like the poster boy for turn of the yeah. century corruption cuz he was like famous for he would pick a he would pick a culprit and then just twist all the facts to point at his chosen <laughs> yeah. culprit and like yeah and on top of that he was like siphoning investig like money donated for the investigation to fund his own political career and all that like he was a pretty notorious figure of the day that's fair for sure but yeah that's really that's all i knew about this case before before the story yeah i mean you know also the thing about it is this is 1912 um in 1912 i mean there weren't even serial killers yeah it wasn't it wasn't even a term right. that was that was even thought about at that point. Um, yeah, not even, not until like the sixties or seventies, right. they started talking about, um, they started talking about repeat murderers or mm-hmm. multiple murderers, I think is what they called them first. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and this was like, I mean, this was, this was, you know, a period of that time where that wasn't, that wasn't a thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, for someone to go in and kill someone it was more so like it was always like a revenge plot or something like that right right? and then normally especially in a case like this you know it wouldn't be an entire family it would be maybe a single person or someone like you know something like that and however in this case you have literally eight people murdered in their sleep yeah um you know which is i'd say that's pretty pretty close to serial killer-esque there just in one house i mean oh definitely granted that's only a single instance but still by modern standards a lot of casualties right yeah by modern standards that would that would put him in the in the category of like a family annihilator oh yeah for sure Mm -hmm. like and isn't there wasn't there like a, a theory that this was the work of a serial killer like there some was. dude who went um, from town to town on the trains yeah, there, there actually was and I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because we will definitely get into theories um but yeah just to just to kind of touch on it um there there's two real main suspects but this is not one of them and so i'll go ahead and kind of get into that a little bit um so basically there's one guy um, a guy by the name of Frank Jones, uh, and again uh-huh. we'll we'll kind of get a little bit further in depth on him. 
but it was said that if he like if he was really going to do it you know he would actually hire outside right and at this time there was already a convicted axe murderer um you know a convicted axe murderer that they said most likely you know would have hired right um you know and the person was uh, went by the name of William Mansfield okay so basically what he did is he started um with this little farm home uh you know this farm i forget exactly where it was but he murdered every person in the family including the children okay and the way that he would go in is he would actually find an axe normally sitting outside by like a wood pile or something like that right. he would take the axe inside with him he never brought his own mm-hmm. murder weapon you know and he would always leave it at the scene right but he he would basically murder the entire family children included and then get back on the train and go to the next town now there was a little bit of a little bit of uh some you know some significance to especially the Stillinger girls. Okay. Um. So the oldest, uh, the oldest who was only twelve at the time. Um. So basically, after uh, and this is post murder. So after she was killed, basically it was said that she was placed in a very sexually suggestive pose. Okay. Uh, pulling up her nightgown and basically removing her her underwear. Right. Um, but it was never found that like you know there was never found of any actual sexual activity. Um, but it was also in cases where this uh, William Mansfield, um, you know, where he had went and murdered families, he would also it was found that he would position some of the children in these type of suggestive poses. Right. So there were a lot of really, you know, big similarities, but, and so they, they tried to charge him, but he, first of all, had an alibi, his, uh, and this is after he'd been convicted, you know, he's, he's already served his time, he's done whatever else, and he's back out in the world, so they tried to charge him, but his boss at the time said that, yeah, he was at work, he wasn't even in the area, he was completely in a whole separate area, and, you know, so they immediately dropped any charges at that point. Interesting. I mean, investigations at that point. Basically, if you had an alibi, that that was you were, all you were that done, mattered. right? That's all you needed for sure. Like investigating a murder, then it was like, did you do it? No. Okay. Next. All right. Well, did who you else? Do yeah. It? Yeah. Uh huh. Because obviously there was no DNA. There was no forensics. Right, there was nothing like that. They See, basically just tried to find people with a motive and then try to get them to confess. That's the thing now, and I know. And getting back into uh, where you know, again, this kind of way of positioning these children, and it was always, right. of course, the girls um, mm-hmm. into these poses. Now, at this particular Velisca crime scene, there was seminal fluid that was found. Okay, not on the child. Like the only thing, the only thing outside of the way that she was positioned, or clothing basically removed the only thing found on her was a bloody handprint on her inner thigh okay now seminal fluid was found on this multi-pound slab of bacon that was on the floor (laughs) and it was said that whoever did it you know whoever did it had also Uh had relations with this slab of bacon (laughs) 
that's extremely that's gross. I, but yes, I mean, yeah. without without being like extremely like gruesome about no, no. it, like yeah, of course, I'm, you know, it's it very it's disgusting. Like yeah. you know, that's what I mean. It, the whole completely disgusting, right? But also like so the way the way that it was found is a chair was sitting in front of this the girl the bed that this girl was sleeping on. Uh-huh. She was pulled to the edge of the bed. Uh, and, and I'm not gonna get like overly overly graphic sure, sure. with it, but again, position. And then this chair was sat like right at the end of the bed, uh, right. in front of the closet. And that's in the story we talk about, like the cat ball that's in the closet. That like you know, it's like one of those right, balls. Right. If you touch it, like you know, turns colors it and flashes. Up. Right. Yeah. So. Um, but position, you know, the chair position right in front of the closet, and then that this person, whoever whoever did it, sat in and right, pleasured so the themselves bacon wasn't, during the time. Right. So the the bacon was not for eating. It was definitely not for eating. Okay. But one thing that was really messed up is that when he like even and ah oh man, I'll get into it. I get into it a little bit. Um, I don't, I don't want to say, but the, so in, as I mentioned in the story found at the table was an uneaten, basically uneaten plate of food, uh, right. not completely eaten. It had been eaten, but not completely mm-hmm. eaten. And, uh, basically a glass of bloody water or a bowl of bloody okay. water, whatever it was. Right. That he so, like washed his hands in. It's basically said that after committing all of this, this person went and ate some food. Right. Right, and then left. Just sat down for a meal. Exactly. Which, yeah, yeah. what kind of twisted person could even uh, commit such like such an insane, like heinous thing, and then also go about his business? And, oh, I'm hungry. How about a cheeseburger? Like, you know, like, yeah, yeah like, that's nuts to me. Um, and that was something I I couldn't get over. I don't know why. I just couldn't get over the fact that. You know, after all this, he's nonchalantly just goes about like yeah. makes himself some food. Not only I, I doubt he brought his own food, first of all. Yeah. So of I mean not. he's probably raiding their cabinets, their fridge, like anything mm-hmm. else, like you know, and I mean he's hasn't he already done enough at this point? T- to be fair, I don't <laughs> think they're gonna be in need of any groceries. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> I suppose Look. you're right, but still <laughs> That's I, terrible. It is, it is very, it's very creepy that like, um, the idea of him just like, sort of winded from all the right. work. It's like it's nothing. Just sitting down, yeah, yeah, just sitting down at the table for a sandwich, washing his hands in the little bowl of water, and sitting down to to eat. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I, I don't and also know. to it me, just... it screams like a practiced hand. Right. right? Like, exactly. Because like, this guy knew what he was doing, obviously. Yeah, because he's doing, he's going about it all very calmly and collected. Like, he's he's not frantic at all. He doesn't worry about escaping as soon as possible. He right. Like, he just goes in, does it, sits down, has a sandwich, whatever, gets up and takes off. Yeah. Like, uh, you know that this isn't the first time that this guy has done something like this. Right. Clearly. You know, see, this is my struggle with true crime stuff is that like, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> it's, it's so real. Like, yeah. like we, 
we literally just discussed like positioning a dead 12 year old girl in a sexually suggestive way oh i know so yeah so that the guy could masturbate on a giant piece of bacon yeah that's that's literally that's what it came down to yeah and that's so fucking vile if you actually like think about what like that's like the depths of human depravity i agree yeah it's i mean it takes a really mentally unstable person and a not even unstable you know that's not even a strong enough word for it no like it takes someone that is literally i mean just the epitome of like someone that shouldn't exist and uh, you know like i don't want to i don't want to be too like too extreme about it but yes like someone that can that can openly do this and yeah, it's I don't know, and that yeah I understand what you're saying. Like when you when you get into like true crime like this, which is something I was trying to stray like stay away from, you know, uh-huh. and focus on like the horror end of it, the 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 more paranormal end of it. But it does take like discussing the actual events too to actually yeah. literally lay out the story, and I mean it does kind of put in perspective how real it is. Yeah, you know, absolutely, and and like you know people. I mean, it's easy to think about haunting, like haunted houses and like right. hauntings. It's easy to think about them kind of like in a, to to give them like a silly atmosphere because we're also familiar with the like hokey reality ghost hunter yeah, shows of course, and stuff like that where we all kind of watch it, you know, we, we, we give it a, we take a grain of salt with it. Right. Mm. So like. But, like, the real shit that happens in these houses are what really give them gravity. Yeah. Right? For sure. Like, and it, and it's so easy. Like, I've even posted memes myself about, like, you know, you hear all the terrible things that led to a house being haunted. And you're like, oh, man, that's terrible anyway. <laughs> Moving right. on. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's... I, I think, like, I think a lot of the... A lot of times we don't really consider what has led to this and we only focus on the aftermath right right we focus on like what is happening now like what what are we you know what are we focusing on now i mean now like obviously like you know with this show we focus on the paranormal end you know and right. again we don't really get into the the crime or the you know any of that aspect of it um and that's i think like also writing writing this story and getting kind of further in depth within you know what actually happened that led to you know this group this group of paranormal investigators to you know spend the night in this house and you know have such a large amount of activity that actually happens right like you know there's that's the best way to really portray it because i mean imagine how much you know especially i mean like pent up like you know, just energy, energy and anger and things like that that literally remain in this house even over a hundred years later. Yeah, I mean, it's it has to be. I mean, it has to be such a large amount, and that's that's what I wanted to portray. Like, I wanted to make sure that it was it was shown that this was you know, I mean, such a gruesome you know gruesome area and such a you know such a yeah terrible terrible act. I mean, honestly, it's one of the bigger ones in the last hundred years. Yeah. You know? And I, I was going to mention that this is like, 
in the story, that was like the most eventful ghost hunt ever. Right. <laughs> they yeah. never happen like that. Yeah. I mean, you like, know, there's, there's some that they get, they get a lot of activity like this. Yeah. Um, and I think I, it's just I'm, because it was, you know, it was in like short story form. Yeah. That for like, sure. It kind of put it all together. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't see all the gaps in between the like sitting, having a conversation of, for an hour course. and a half until the next thing happens. I spent a lot yeah. of time though, watching ghost hunts of this house. Yeah. Like I watched multiples. Ghost Adventures also even did a hunt of this house. Um, you know, just just to give you an idea, um, yeah. you know. So I mean, there's been so many done, and so many that get a lot of activity, like an extreme amount of activity. And then there's some that get, you know, it's few and far between. And I think it's right. really how you approach it and how you go about it is like what you actually get out of it. Um. You know, in this makes group, sense. like this group, they didn't expect to get a whole lot out, and they were met with, you know, something that exceeded beyond their expectations, extremely, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, so with that said, I mean, so you know, kind of getting into the way, I guess, the way that this was done. You know, we have we have these these remaining spirits and everything in this house that have been there for you know such a long period of time. Um, you know, continuing to build up that energy. I mean, it's, you know, again, it's just continuing and con- it, it continues to just build and build and build wherein these groups go in or there's even, uh, they even do walking tours of this house. Right. Um, you know, it's sort of like 1 PM in the day. Uh, I forget exactly when the end, but I know I even, I even checked it today before we did this episode and they had opened at one o'clock. Um, you know, so they do, they do walking tours just to, you know, because it's such a very popular thing and, and it's also so, you know, such a, you know, again, on the true crime end, it's such like a crazy thing that's never, they never even caught the person. Oh, well over a hundred years. Obviously the person is not alive anymore. We, right. And, and unless they're lucky <laughs> or something, but I would say probably not. Um, (laughs) No, like, that's another thing I was going to bring up. Like, apparently the walking tours are just tradition. Because did I hear you correctly that after the murders happened, they let the town, the townspeople, like, go through the house playing axe murder? Yeah. So after after this happened, the bodies were left there for a series of days. Right. um, As they continued to, like, you know, try and try and figure out the crime scene. They opened it to well over a hundred people in the town could come and tour the house. And while these bodies were still in it, mind you, right. Pools of blood. Like just think about the worst crime scene you could imagine. I mean, just as described in the story, these, these faces and heads were bludgeoned 20 to 30 times the blunt end of an ax. Like, I mean, completely bashed in like, I, I don't know how you could sub like you could subject an entire group of people to this first of all, um, but everybody you know maybe it was such a tight like tight knit community that like every fight everybody felt like it was their uh, not necessarily obligation or prerogative or something like that but like <laughs> like they were entitled to come in like I, I don't know right I, you know it's kind of hard to hard to even imagine that first of all because that would never be a thing today. Yeah, but because yes. that would destroy the crime scene. Exactly. But yeah, they had 100 people, over 100 people that were in and out of the house, walking around, like, footprints everywhere. Everybody got to touch the axe. 
Jesus. Uh, swing the axe around and like, you know, yeah. so yeah, there was no trace. Like there'd be no trace of even the killer's DNA or fingerprints or anything like that at that point because they right. let so many people come in and affect and like disrupt the crime scene. So yeah, that's, that's which crazy. is insane. Like, yeah, it's, I think about that. And, and when I first read through this and just like, you know, like looking uh, and like even watching like interviews of the story and stuff and everybody that talked about this is like, yeah, they let this happen and then they wonder why they, you know, can't like figure out who did it. I mean, it's not like they were collecting evidence like that. I, that'd anyway, be true. That right. Time. True. Yeah. True. But, but still, regardless, it's the whole, it's, it's the principle though. Like, it, like, you know, that they let everybody come in, like everybody who's anybody and their, you know, 13th cousin come into this house and yeah. touch this ax and, pretend that they were you know re recreating this crime scene like no that's it just, in, it's insane yeah it is. that's crazy it's, it's super silly and it's something that like to this day and it was also done at the uh if you if you're familiar with lizzie borden the lizzie borden yeah. axe murders they did the exact same thing let the yeah. whole town come in and look at all these all these bodies and everything touch the axe and everything um you know very similar situation to the lizzie borden house yeah, so apparently that was just the way they did things in that in that time. I, I guess so. Like, I, like I wonder if they were. Which, I, I mean, wonder if they were looking for someone who like fit the height or something like, and kind of came in that they could like profile yeah. basically. Like, yeah, I mean, maybe because I, I know you maybe. you mentioned that there were like axe markings on the ceilings and the walls around. Right. So like maybe they were looking so, for someone who's like axe markings lined up. Or something. I don't know. Maybe because I know, like, yeah, it's like, especially you know, in some of the rooms, and the killer was left-handed. Okay. So when he'd come back, and he was using the blunt end of the axe. So I mean, he's using roughly, you know, the flat right. side uh, because it's going to be quicker. It's going to, you know, there's no co- like possibility of it getting stuck or anything like sure. that, right? And he's trying to move fast. You know, he's trying to trying to remain undetected. Yeah. Somehow does. Yeah apparently or supposedly um but so yeah i mean he's using the blunt and and the only person that that didn't get the blunt into the axe used on him was sarah moore the mother okay so he was the only person that actually used the blade end huh um and then when he came back so the way that it happened uh just it it, might as well stay true crabby right now then uh, so <laughs> the way that it happens, he starts in the parents' bedrooms. Starts with, starts with Joe Moore bashing his skull uh-huh. in, you know, and that's it. Said and done. Switches to Sarah, turns the blade in, and I don't know why he turns the blade in. It's you, you don't, you know, obviously we don't yeah. know. We don't know like what the motive was or why that was a thing. But she was the only person. Bam, right in the face. Like, and then he went to the children's room, the the more children. One by one, went back and forth, and they were all blunt side, even as he got downstairs. Now, the only one that had any type of defensive wounds or marks or anything was the older, still injured child. And I don't know if maybe, like, maybe they happened to hear or she happened to hear, you know, this guy coming downstairs because, you know, for some reason he started upstairs. There's multiple theories that surround this that we'll that we can get into. I'm glad to uh-huh. do so, 
Uh, but, you know, and then comes down. And then, you know, like, she tries to defend herself. Obviously, doesn't right. happen. And then, boom, they're done. And then after that, he decides, all right, he's going to go double tap, mm-hmm. right? You know, if you're familiar with Zombieland, you always double sure. tap. So he goes back upstairs. And then he spends about 20 to 30, 30 like, hard hits on each person. Um, like, 20 to 30, like, bludgeons, right. essentially, on every person. I don't know why, like, if he was trying to make them unrecognizable or if he didn't like the idea of their faces, like, still being able to, like, if uh, maybe he felt like the weird, like, they're still looking at him sort of thing. See, right? because I instantly, I instantly thought, generally when a killer covers the victim's face afterward, it's considered a sign that they're like feeling ashamed of what they've done or right of course and that's, or that there's some that personal like the connection between the killer and the victim exactly and that was the questioning behind why he covered all the mirrors yeah. and windows with bed sheets or you know bed clothes right. or cloths or whatever that he could find right um, yeah, covered all the mirrors and, and windows. And still to this day, I mean, when you go to this house, they're still right. all covered. You know, so they keep them covered for authenticity, basically. But still. Um, yeah, and there's there's a lot of, like, a lot of theories behind that. Um, uh, a couple of which, um, I mean, since we're talking about it, we'll just go ahead and get into yeah, it. Yeah, I guess. that's fine. Um, so a couple of them were, obviously, that, you know, he had... Um, you know that he basically uh, was was ashamed or had felt like uh, you know had had been it didn't like the idea of them looking at him yeah. sort of thing like you know even after you know post-mortem basically being able to see their faces staring back at him as he stood right. over them he didn't like that so like you know and even when it came to the me and that's why obviously you know, like basically rendering them unrecognizable. And then also the mirrors and windows, like they felt like it was some more, more like mental thing, like mental. He didn't want to see his own reflection. Exactly. Either that or didn't want somebody seeing from the outside. But yeah, I think it was, I think it was obviously more so himself. Um, now, and you know, some people say though, that it was due, uh, you know, it was more so him, living out this fantasy. Okay. Um, and that's where we get into more of kind of like the sexual end of yeah. things where, I mean, he obviously had some, some weird, you know, weird fantasy with this, yeah. um, you know, to, that we've discussed previously. So, and then some people say like, this is like a fantasy that he'd, that he'd built up basically. So he like covered everything, tried to like set the mood and all this other, like other stuff. Yeah. basically. Um, I mean, I I think I personally think like it's probably so, it's probably more mental related. Like I think that he didn't want to see himself. He didn't want any type of any type of reflection. He didn't want to see like he didn't want to see himself committing this these right. acts. I mean, it's it's easy to it's easy to see how this could be seen as as sexually motivated. I mean, he he right I mean, he for sure masturbated in the crime scene. Right. So like clearly there was a sexual yeah. component to it. But like I th- who's to say that the shame doesn't didn't come after? Right? 
that he didn't. True. I mean, yeah, he could have. He could have literally covered him up afterwards. Yeah. You know, because he, he, yeah. Uh, you're right. You're right. It's it's hard to say because I mean, obviously, we we know like a rough timeline of when sure. it happened, but we don't know, you know, what exactly right. happened. Yeah, and all and all it is at this point is basically theories based on kind of the you know the pathing in the house. Like it was easy to yeah. tell, like you know, parents to children, and then the two neighbor right. children. Um, you know, and they were they were basically the most fresh when it came toward you know, came also to it's it. hard to like it's hard to take any forensic findings at that time super seriously because yeah they, I, I mean who's to say he didn't come in kill the so let's say this is just like someone obsessed with the older neighbor girl right yeah I mean it very could because also thing about it is is he was convicted for her death lena's death lena stillinger and she was like the main one but obviously she was the most you know uh, that was the one she was the older she was the one like moved into this like sexually suggestive posing and like whatever else like you know so she was like the main one that he was convicted for and then all the all the charges eventually dropped like you know randomly so so who's to say that he didn't actually do that first? You know what I mean? Like, because I know they yeah, have this sort right. of established timeline, but established based on what? Like, yeah, especially if he moved around back and forth. You know what I mean? It would be super. It would. Yeah, I mean, it would be really difficult at that time to determine what order any of that stuff happened in. Yeah, I think it was more so like out of. Um, like, because there's a couple theories on on how it happened, so we might as well get into that. Okay. You know, since we're talking about this, all right. So some people say like he came in from a downstairs window, okay, or came in through the front door. So this is this is the thing. Um, when Mary Peckham, the neighbor lady, came over that morning to you know, because nobody was up at seven thirty right. in the morning, which to me, like at first, I was like. What what is wrong? Like why why would you be concerned right. if somebody's not awake at seven thirty? But the fact of it is, is they had yeah. farm animals. They were always out at like six to seven in the morning feeding their animals, yeah. like taking care of them. You know, so it was it was strange to see them yeah. not out. And out of cure, you know, out of I guess concern as a good neighbor, which uh, that's a fantastic sure. neighbor. Like, <laughs> you know, like out of concern, she didn't see them out, and you know, like came over and yeah, so. Uh, getting back to it though, so it was said that you know the the this killer could have came in a downstairs window, but also the Moore family never locked their right. doors, never locked and their the doors. And the door was locked when they came. And it was over, that right? that particular morning the door was right. locked. Yes, so the killer could have either came inside of that door, but the bad part, like the hard part about it, is when you first walk into the house. You walk into the kitchen area. Immediately to your right is this very narrow staircase that goes up and you know go that literally goes up and it's extremely narrow like very very narrow like very like deep flight of stairs that uh yeah just goes basically and that goes up. right into the parents bedroom um, right so at the the top of the staircase you basically look at the attic right in front of you and the parents bedroom yeah. to the right then you turn to the left and it's the hallway and across the hallway is the children's right. bedroom right so you have the parents bedroom and the attic that are catty corner basically like uh-huh. the entrance 
you walk out of the parents' bedroom immediately immediately to ride right. is the attic. That's why, like, in this case, when the like the REM pod was pointing in the direction of at- the attic, it's because it was standing, it was literally sitting out in the, the entryway to the right. parents' bedroom. So it was like, you know, you had this right rightwardly facing light that kept right. going off. Um, but yeah, so basically, you know, it was, it was said that it would be the most, the easiest to keep, obviously, things quiet. He wanted, you know, and it, obviously in this case, it would make sense to start with the parents. Yeah. The dad in particular. You know, because the dad in particular, yeah. exactly. And that's what they, that's what you they You take stated. out the defender while he's all, asleep. Take, take him out. And also it helps with sound yeah. too. Like it's expected the parents are going to hear more sound than the children, you know, but also in this area, there were always trains, a very, very loud train that went by and that, you know, some believe that also masked his foot, like footsteps on the floor and stuff like that, because always throughout the night, there would be these loud trains that would pass by the area. That makes sense. Um, you know, so, but it does make sense for them to start, you know, him to start in the parents' room. And then what, easy, you know, what easier way to, than to go across the hall and, yeah. you know, they, he has the extra, he has the kids. So might as well, you know, get those knocked out and then head back downstairs. Like, <laughs> that sounds really <laughs> awful now that I think I about it. <laughs> this, yeah, like, this, like um, this right here is my problem with true crime is like when you talk about it for I so know. long, it's yes. so easy to start talking about it like frivolously. You know what I mean? And like I do right. the same thing. Like Where when you first were talking about the bacon, I was laughing. Like, and I hate, I hate yeah, the idea of getting so like so numb to the horror that like I, I don't know. It just, this is my problem with true crime. We'll see. That's the problem, though, is we we always start with the horror yeah. end of it. Yeah, you know, like we always we always start with that. But like, I, I don't mean, mean horror, horror. Honestly, I mean like the horror of the human experience. And then, right, like, I was gonna say honestly that that is that's the worst yeah, part of it. Absolutely, that's the scary. No, true crime part. is like, way scarier you know, than paranormal stuff. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That and that's that's what I'm trying to say. Um, and if you were words, right. but yeah, like that's what it comes down to. That's the scariest yeah. part of it is that like, this is something that happened, yeah. you know? And, and I, I wanted to stray away from the true crime part of it and focus really on the, the haunt and everything. And I mean, you know, and there are a lot more supporting facts to it, but I also feel like there's a lot of stuff that really needs to be said about this Okay, to aid to it and to really like kind of paint a picture how like twisted this is and how like i mean obviously at this point there has to be a lot of residual energy that's been sure. built i mean there has to be like it, it, you know you think of like some haunts like yeah a person died there like maybe maybe you know they, they haven't moved on or whatever else but in this like eight people sit a family of six including two neighboring friends which i mean I feel so bad for the the right. two the two that like begged to stay the night because it was a couple things like some of it was just like yeah they wanted to stay with their friends but some was like apparently at this time period the power company in this this town this town was battling okay. with them and so as like uh, as a means to really get what they wanted the town would shut off the power at a specific time at night basically yeah. 10 p.m. And this night with the church, you know, this Sunday school uh, service that lasted, you know, to almost 10, 
you know, these little girls didn't want to walk home alone. They didn't want to. They didn't want to go home in the right. pitch dark. Like, I mean, that yeah, makes sense. Definitely right. So then they ask them, you know, can we stay? Like, you know, and then the children, of course, they want they want to have their friends yeah. stay. So yeah, like it makes sense. All right. Um, so and then they just let, yeah, yeah, which is it's awful. awful. So let's take a hard step away from the true crime side, and let's talk about the hauntings that purportedly take place in this house so there's a lot there's a lot of activity that uh that happens so first of all we have johnny the caretaker right right? um so this guy this guy's been here for years he like he comes he randomly fixes things he works on the house i mean this house is a hundred and some odd years old um you know it's constantly needs upkeep and needs maintained so uh, I have a couple different, a couple different uh, periods. There are a couple different, like I guess. Side, real quick side note. So real quick day, side note before you get into that. Yeah, I, I yeah, love sure. that this doesn't at all look like a haunted house, and like you pointed that out in the story. It does. It looks yes. like your normal. It house, looks like a right? normal house in a normal neighborhood. Like it, it's not. It's the house at yeah, the end of the street. It's not is old it is. or creepy. I mean, it's old, but it doesn't. It doesn't look old and creepy and it just looks like a, it's like a normal little, like I would even call it like a one and a half story. That top story is like tiny, but like it, it really is. And the attic is yeah. literally on the same story that the exactly. upstairs is, which is <laughs> like, how yeah. is that an attic? It seems like just this little tiny extra, extra and like, bedroom basically. with like white vinyl siding and like, it just, it looks like a normal house. Yeah, I mean it, it's a house that you could literally yeah. drive past and never expect. Except now it has happen. an enormous sign out front that says "Velisca Axe." It, it does. House. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. True. <laughs> I mean, if you don't pay attention yeah, to that, exactly. you never know. Okay. So. All right. So, getting into some of Johnny's experiences, right? So Johnny, caretaker of the house. Again, he's been there for years. He's the one always coming to fix and maintain the house. So one day he was there cleaning, uh, basically just cleaning the house. He heard someone walking around upstairs. He was downstairs at the time. Heard them basically shut a dresser drawer and, you know, like shuffling things around. He goes running upstairs to confront the person. And nobody's there. All right. Classic. Right. So he's also reported seeing shadow figures in oh. the house. Um, I, I guess, sorry, one sh- one primary shadow figure is what it's been. One primary shadow figure that he's seen on multiple occasions. Um, He's witnessed every door, every single cabinet in the house randomly open and shut by themselves. Um, He's basically heard entire full-on conversations being held upstairs while he's standing downstairs. Yeah. Um, There's one, one in particular. This This one's crazy. So he came in one Friday night around 10 p.m. to fix a few things. Apparently, he didn't have anything to do that night. He couldn't sleep, you know, like he was just like, as he goes through this interview, he's like, apparently I'm that lame or, you know, I suck that much. I had nothing yeah. to do that night. So I decided to come and, you know, just work on stuff at basically 10 o'clock. So he's, he's, he walks in the house, he locks the door behind him and he walks upstairs to fix a bed in one of the rooms. Uh, apparently the, there was an issue with like it on sure. the frame. So he goes upstairs, works on the bed. And he's up there, and all of a sudden he hears the door open downstairs, and he assumes someone broke in, and basically he continued to listen to them, like, walking around downstairs from room to room and everything. And he decided he's going to one-up them. He's going to scare them. 
right? And he's and he even said in the interview, he's like, man, if you want to tour the house, I would gladly yeah. show you the house. He's like, but these guys, he's like, you know, they they don't they don't learn and just take it upon themselves and try to come in. He's like, so he's like, what I did is I hid in the closet. <laughs> And he heard the person walk up the stairs, thump, 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 up the stairs, right. right? And into the room he was in. He said he even felt the floor, like the footsteps on the floor, like how you can feel yeah. like somebody in the same room, especially in an older house, like just tap, tap, tap. And like, and he described it like heel yeah. to toe, heel to toe, heel to toe. And uh, basically at that point, he jumped out, you know, to try to like, he immediately swung the door open, jumped out. There was nothing nor anybody Ugh. there. And he said he basically stood there for a minute, completely frozen. He's unable to move, unable to speak. He couldn't do anything. Um, after that, he said it took him at least three days to return back yeah, to the house. Three days. That was one of the most, right. That was one of the most unique instances. Cause I mean, you know, this dude is used to hearing, yeah. hearing things like seeing things. But this particular instance, I mean, he was so sure that it was a person. That's, and and then when he jumped out, he couldn't that's do terrifying. Anything. And there's nobody there, trying right. to get the jump on a ghost. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think they've got one yeah. up on you, buddy. No, that's that, that's fucked so, up. Yeah, it's extremely messed up, and that was like. I just imagine being there in that closet, like, haha, like yeah. you're giddy. You're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess with you, and like you jump out, like, ha, oh, I got you, bud. <laughs> Stuck. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Nope. <laughs> no, that's that's crazy. So, I I just I I like try to imagine being in that like scenario, and yeah, uh, yeah. Ugh. So like, okay, here's a a big question. Do you right. when you think of ghosts? Do you think, like, these haunting situations, do you think of it as, like, the actual spirits of the people who died in the house are, like, are are there? Like, are, are stuck there? Or do you think of them as, like, sort of a replay of the energy of the things that took place building See, up over the years? That's the thing. See, that's the thing. And that's what, that's what's harder. Like, I I mean, I know, I know personally from what I've experienced and like having almost firsthand contact, you know, but then I also think about like, and, and I know we've, we've talked about this in the, you know, uh, an episode, a series that we're about to release soon. Um, and then I think about like later on and another instance, I remember, constantly watching this thing happen it was it was almost like it was on okay. replay like a loop so yeah exactly so maybe it's both so, I mean, in different situations i think i think it could be i think it's it's definitely dependent on the area and the circumstances okay maybe so you believe that if a person experiences oh. like extreme trauma in their life that their spirit could linger and not always but can yeah exactly okay i think i think especially if it's if it's suppressed that much and it's held in the confines of this area and there's no means of it escaping right. basically i think yeah i think it'd be it I, yeah i think it'd be completely possible 
Yeah, and that's what I feel like this happened. I mean, just think of how tragic this situation was. Truly. You know. And like, do you think that uh Um, that in that situation the haunting would get more intense over the years or it would fade? So there is uh Igoric, I I can't remember it's Igor uh, it's a word. I, 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 I'm completely drawing a blank right now, and I, I hate that I am. Um, but it's a word. It's like Igoric, Igoric, uh, ig- whatever. But basically what it means is it means when a place becomes more haunted due to people believing in it more. Right. You know, so, again, it, it develops, it develops a, uh, you know, develops popularity, develops a name. Like, people go in, they, you know, continue to believe it, you know, back in, like, whatever else, like, constantly, and it, it it basically develops from something very minuscule and so, like, small into this massive right. haunting because of how many people that get, just like we've talked about Yeah, cryptids, I mean, they're basically creating right? tulpas. Like, exactly. Yeah. Yes. It's that exact same concept. Yeah. But there is a word, and I, uh, oh, man, I... I just can't remember it That's off the okay. top of my head and I'm going to remember yeah. it after we're done. I'm going to hate <laughs> myself, but still, um, yes, but that's, that's basically what it is. When you, you have so many people constantly like going in and giving it more and more energy and power and believing more right. and more in it, it develops this just energy that, d- that builds in this area that remains. It's like some dormant energy that becomes right. active. Right. And then it just can, it's consumes the area. So at that point, this these this activity, whether it be poltergeist, whether it be just a general haunt, whatever, becomes so spectacular, yeah. and you know, just more so common than because than all the once. energy people are pouring yeah, just into because, it. Because exactly yeah. that people are actually adding to it each time that they go in, or the the more and more that they believe that this yeah, is actually I can a see thing. that. Like the, I mean, if you at if you at your baseline believe in, you know, energy, right? That there is this energy right, of course. left over after a person dies, right? You could see how your, how someone's belief in it could be transferring energy or power into that, into that vessel of energy that's left over, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that sounds mm-hmm. super woo woo, but like it's, but it's not though, it's it's literally not like it's not you know. I mean, it, it seems. No, I fight with myself over stuff like this, like because I, I understand, I, and I do the same, and I I have experienced like yeah. things that are you know impossible right. to explain. But like, I still fight with myself on these types yeah. of things, right? So I I get that, and I think it's like, I, I just like it just like as we've talked about tulpas and things like that because i mean i i firmly believe that that is you give so much you know so much attention to something that it starts to develop it starts to um almost like materialize yeah. right into right. something it, it gains a real nothing. place in the world yeah exactly so why can't sure. this i mean there are all manner of tulpas created every day right like how many constructs of our society exist because we believe they exist, right? That's like, that's True. just like a, a primary aspect of the human condition. I was, was going to say, and that's exactly, that's not even, that doesn't even have to be anything yeah. paranormal based. 
I mean, that far far exceeds like even the reaches of that. Like, I mean, it ex- expands right. beyond that point, right? Yeah, yeah, I could see that. So, uh, you know, kind of getting back into it, some other reports, basically, you know, a lot of people that go in because they they do these tours. So these they do these tours. Um, obviously, I mean, right now, and as as uh, I was watching this interview with Johnny, basically he said like they're booked up for the next year in advance as far as their group yeah, investigations. Um, as we're familiar with a lot of, a lot of these types of haunted houses, um, but when they do these groups uh, like these group tours, they often have to cut them short because people start to feel uneasy, start to feel sick. Things start yeah. to happen, you know, like unexplainable things like doors start to open or like things start to move on their own and like the group yeah. can't handle it. I mean, I don't know why you're going to a haunted house, first of all, if you can't handle seeing some stuff. They just want to. A lot of those people uh, just want to feel spooky, right? But when, when yeah, they're I mean, actually faced I, with something I mean, I, like that, it's completely different. Then they can't. Yeah. They can't take it. Exactly. Yeah. So. But uh, there's been a lot of reports of people feeling uneasy and not themselves after being yeah. in the house. Um, uh, they explained it basically like a feeling of like drunkenness. Yeah. Um, you know, that starts to basically weigh on them. And then, you know, they'll go outside of the house and after like a period of like an hour or so, they start to feel normal. Yeah. You know, but it's something in the house that's causing this like this weight on them like this. Like, and I mean, I imagine being in a place you're obviously completely yeah. sober, but the feeling like of drunkenness overtaking you, that would be, that yeah, would be scary. Definitely. Extremely scary. I mean, I feel like just you know, being like, surrounded by that yeah. horrible history that took place in that house would, I, it would be enough. That, right, I feel yeah. like that would affect me like deeply. Just I agree with that. There. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and that's what a lot of people say as well. They get overtaken by yeah. emotions. You know, they start to feel like a sadness. Yeah. Like, even if they're, like, not generally sad people, they start to feel like an overwhelming sadness that takes I mean, I would them. say I was feeling... Which, that is 100% I, yeah. believable. I, I would say sure. I was feeling something close to that while you were telling the story. Just like... Right. You know, it's, I get that a lot with, with true crime stuff. Like, it affects me so much. <laughs> yeah. I agree. It's it's because I mean, it's it's hard to imagine that that is yeah. a reality. Yeah. And I think outside of anything, monsters, paranormal, like mm-hmm. anything, I think the true horrors in the in the entire world are that of yeah, people. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, like things that people can commit and do. I, yeah, it, it messes with it messes with me beyond like I even like I can yeah. I can explain. That's why I have, um, and I don't. I have I'm a lot very, of trouble. I have a lot of trouble um, researching cases like this. Like because when I yeah this this was yeah. a hard one. When too. I research right. a case, I get like really into it, like soaked up in it, and like mm-hmm. I, mostly it's been when I've done like. Um, like um wow can't even think of the word well while you're thinking about that um i I like the problem i find is i'm a very empathetic person yep i i i'm i'm such an empath that like i feel 
Like it's not yeah. even sympathy. I literally feel like what I can only imagine is even a fraction of what people yeah. like endure. You know, so like, and, and that sucks. Yeah, like that especially sucks in something yeah. like this. the word. By the way, that I, for some reason I couldn't think of was possession. When I research pos- when I've researched okay. possession cases in the past, yeah, like getting into the details of how like the basically the torture that those people go through, like it it fucks with me. Oh, it's yeah. gnarly. It stays yeah. with me for a long time. It's bad. It- I know I even looking into a lot of possession cases myself like I mean just again you know putting myself in that position uh, for some reason it's it's very easy to do and you just you feel it like it's like it's it's something that just I don't know I I don't feel right for days afterwards and I'm not even like I'm just looking it up like I'm literally learning about it right I'm not even experiencing anything even secondhand um you know so yeah there's there's also something in this this house that causes people especially anybody that's maybe might not be completely mentally okay. stable or suffers borderline depression or something like that that this house will latch onto them something in this house will latch onto them and will uh literally um exploit their emotions and their feelings to like to a, a, an extremely high degree like causing them to break down and things like that, you know. Obviously, you don't, you you know, like somebody that, as somebody that suffers, like you know, whether it be like mental, like you know, obviously emotional issues and things like that. Like, imagine going in and somebody, something being able to latch onto you and right. exploiting that, and like making you feel that to like times yeah, that's a thousand. Really scary. You know, uh, yeah, it's extremely scary. It, it's. Yeah, it's it's something like you know. Obviously, your your mental and emotional health is extremely important, and something that can mess with that is insane. Definitely. So one of the, um, I guess one of the, I guess uh, experiences that people have have talked about um, is kind of a messed up one. So in 2014, there was a single investigator that decided to go into the house. Okay, so he went in alone. First of all. He went in alone, right? I don't think I'd ever do that. No, probably not. To be quite honest. Like, I mean, I feel pretty ballsy, and a lot of this stuff doesn't, like, doesn't affect me. It doesn't, like, scare me at all. Sure. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's kind of creepy. But, like, but also to be a single investigator in a dark house, um, you know, I mean, you're, you know, shouldn't be turning on the lights. You should be using, like, cam- you know, camera- cameras and, sure. you know, flashlights and things like that, right? So let's, let's imagine that that was the case. Okay. All right, just to paint a you know paint a picture or set a scene here for sure. So you have this guy and he's sitting in the downstairs bedroom that the Stillinger uh, Lena and Ina Stillinger um, were had slept in the night of the murders. Right. All right. So as I explained earlier, basically when you walk into the room, um, at the top of the room on the left is the bed that they slept in. The top of the room on the right is the closet, literally. You know, across from the uh, at the foot of the bed, right, right. across from the bed. That's the that's the seat, the chair. Um, that's behind the chair that the killer had sat in with his bacon. Correct. So, um, so uh, so basically, uh, so what had happened is this this investigator went and he was trying to. I mean, he was like, uh, he was trying to provoke 
anything. Like, I mean, he was trying hard. Okay. Um, he reported that he, you know, he was trying to provoke any type of spirit that would come to him. And basically sitting on the bed at that point, and he's, he's, you know, calling out, saying everything that he's saying. And all of a sudden he sees this bright flash of light that comes from the closet, almost similar to that I mentioned in the story. Right. This has been reported by a couple, uh, you know, several actual investigative groups that have been in. Okay. That have seen a light originate from the closet and shift into the room. So he's he's sitting there on the bed, and he sees this light come from the closet and over the wall, and all of a sudden, this guy just blacks out. Okay. So, I mean, look at it like this. He's been provoking, you know, whatever type of spirit or energy or anything that's been in the house, in this room specifically, uh, for the last little bit and everything. Sees this light. All of a sudden, he blacks out. He wakes up literally the next day with a knife in his chest. What? It didn't kill him. What? It didn't kill him, but he woke up with a knife in his chest. No explanation as to how it got there? No explanation. Well, so it's assumed that he shoved it in himself after he had blacked out. Jesus Christ. That's something, because it's also said that there's something in the house that manipulates your mind. Right. uh, That makes you feel anger. Um, A lot of people have have said that after leaving the house, they feel like bouts of anger. Huh. Um, Even even Johnny, uh, the caretaker of the house, he said that he experienced one day he went home. And literally had a flash of murdering his wife. Wow. You know, and it obviously never happened. Yeah. But, you know, just that that stayed with him, that rage stayed with him. Yeah. And so you have this this investigator that's literally provoking. Yeah, and there's something evil in this house. There's something evil that's residual that has stayed there, right? Okay. We know. We know that this energy is, has been pent up and building. And it would be ignorant to say that there's not an evil energy that's there, too. Sure. Um, and this is actually believed by a lot of people. Uh, I'm going to cut to. So the town is called Villisca. There is an, uh, a Native American word called Woliska, which means evil spirit. <laughs> of course it does. Um, so it's very similar to, you know, to this house yeah. or to this. Sorry, to this area. Um, you know, so so maybe the evil, we're, maybe we're the cutting too, maybe the evil here is much older than these axe murders. It very well could be, right, right. But you have this family that have lived there their entire lives, right, without issue. Nothing bad ever happened until this night, right. So maybe hmm. you know, in this area lies this evil. Maybe it wasn't in their house, but it's in this area. And this person, whoever it was, came in and brought this evil in. Maybe the murder woke because it up. Because just like, and I, and I know we weren't going to talk, we're not going to get into it, but because j- I feel like it supports it into the, um, I guess the, you know, the, I guess possible suspects. Okay. So I'm only going to go over one. Uh, I talked about one. If we, if we need to go over it or if people want to get into it, I would be happy to like discuss it and stuff on you know, social media. Like we can definitely have that as a discussion. Yeah. But. So I'm going to cut to Reverend Kelly was one of the bigger, one of the bigger ones. Okay. We have Frank Jones and Reverend Kelly were two major suspects. So Reverend Kelly, um, yeah, I mean, he was obviously notorious for doing a lot of bad stuff. Yeah. Uh, he even tried to elicit like sexual behavior from girls and all this other stuff all the time. 
Uh, but you know, so he, um, so yes. So he basically confessed to the murders and said that there was a shadow figure that called to him and gave him an, an ax to commit the murders and basically brought him, brought him to the house against his will. And it was at that point, like a message from God, he was told to slay and eat. Ugh. That's fucking gnarly. Um, yes, exactly. Jesus. So, but he recanted later, and, right? He did. He did. Yeah. But think of that, and it, it, it makes so much sense, though. Yeah. You have this plate of fully, uh, like, not completely eaten food, right. uneaten food, a bloody bowl of water. Yeah. He's set to slay and then eat. Yeah. And he got this message from God. And this is something he, like, he, like, when he confessed, that's what he said. That's creepy. How would he know this at all? And even he went on the train and said, there were eight, basically eight victims that were killed in their own, you know, in their own beds, basically. And he said this at 530 in the morning, it was reported. And it wasn't until after, well, after 8, 830 in the morning that they were found. That's so yes um and like i said i didn't want to get into true any more true crime but i feel like it kind of plays on that right on that he saw that shadow figure and exactly yeah interesting something that drew drew him to the house even you know almost unbeknownst to him like you know and against his will he said stated rather right um you know that uh yeah like i feel like there's there's a little bit more to that there has to be some some underlying evil or some presence in this house or specifically this area, you know, that is, I mean, yeah. think of like Amityville and stuff like that, sure. right? It's always normally the dad. Yeah. But in this case, it was not. No, he didn't bludgeon you know, himself. So, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That would be really, really hard to do. <laughs> Especially 30 times. Yeah, exactly. I don't So, um, I don't know. That's yeah, even I, I, like I said. I, that's even scarier. The idea that there's this like ancient evil there, just like waiting to find someone that they can man, that it can manipulate into yeah. like sort of doing its and bidding. You, and you have this reverend that he already uh, he's already suffered, uh, you know, mental issues, had a mental breakdown as an as an right. adolescent. He's uh, he's been known to be a, a peeping tom. Like right. he goes from town to town, like creeping in windows, preying on young women, like, and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, someone that might be vulnerable you know? to the influence of something like that. Exactly. Yeah. That was that was my thoughts. Yeah. And that's where I feel like, even though that kind of gets in a little bit of the true crime, the true crime parts, but like I feel like it's really manipulated and affected by this evil like this just darkness that surrounds this area yeah for some reason in you know just as we were talking like this is this up to that point was never a thing yeah you know it's not like the family ever had this like this evil or expressed you know anything in this area i mean this is a very like i mean you know for christ's sake like the the mother was literally one of the people in charge she was the co-director yeah in charge of holding events at the church and things like that. Like no, the parents were like pillars of the community. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And the family was well respected, but also, you know, like, and again, I won't get into that. That's a, that's a whole other theory. Um, yeah, but you know, still like, yeah, the, the parents were, 
very, very much staples in the community. Yeah. Okay. And yet this this fell onto them. Like, you know, it's it's unfortunate and yeah. Well after we're done here, I'm it's for sure crazy. gonna go watch the Ghost Adventures episode for this house. Um there's actually they made a fictional movie based on this that is phenomenal. Really? It's actually a, it's a horror movie. Uh, and it's very, very loosely based on it, but it's it's actually it's the house. Yeah, it's more of like a mansiony type house, right, and of course. there's ghosts and stuff that are in there, and like it's actually really good. Um, so I, I I suggest like if you're actually interested in the story and you're looking for something fictional that has nothing really to do with the story <laughs> besides like the idea concept, it's really good because it's actually it was made in like 2017 or 2018. Well, what's it called? And it's not a terrible horror movie. Uh, I think it's the Velisca, the Velisca murders, or oh man, hang on. Yeah, uh, I would have to double check, but um, yeah, I definitely got to know if you're going to recommend a movie, you got to know the title of it. <laughs> I'm I'm double checking. I'm double checking here. No, I'm um, I'm definitely but yes. It came out. It was like a straight to Netflix movie. Okay. Um, that's no longer an insult. This... I know. No, it's not at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I want to see what old Zach oh, Baggins, man. what old Zach Baggins had to say about this house. I'm sure he was possessed by the evil within. <laughs> so what's really cool is there's this uh this house uh Sally um oh my gosh non drawing yeah the blank. Sally house yes the Sally house yeah. which first of all the weirdest thing it's the exact same street address. As, this As one? the Velisca Axe Murder oh, House. Oh, weird. I yes. didn't know that. Yeah, I plan on covering yep. the Sally House at some point. For sure. The Axe Murders of Velisca. Okay. Sorry. Nailed uh, it. Uh, yeah. All right. On Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's on, I think it was made by like IFC, but it was sent straight to Netflix. I don't think it's, I don't know if it's on Netflix at this point, but I know it's, it's, it's on YouTube if you want to, okay. if you want to cool. check it out. You can always watch it there. Cool. Um, it's actually really good. It's a surprisingly decent present day horror movie. If you don't go into it like expecting this exact story, right? Okay. It's very, very loosely based on it, but I mean, it's the same premise. Right. Scary house. But, people like, die with axes. Yeah, I mean that's basically. But also, people die because there's spirits in there, and oh, yeah. there's a lot of evil and darkness. Cool. Cool. All right. It gets really into that aspect of even it. better, which that's the part that I really dig for sure. You know, like especially kind of getting into this, and that's why I'm trying to like get all this out. Like this house, like something about it remains dark. You know, to to this day, yeah. Like there's something in there. I so, mean, we cover yeah. these stories like this because we have like a deep curiosity at what causes the hauntings, right? That's like that's the whole purpose of discussing it. Is to yeah, to try to exactly. work out our feelings about what could cause a house to be haunted like this. So, yeah, I don't know how many times we could say like, "Oh, we don't really do true crime," but like, it's, <laughs> it's literally almost all like this. It's like almost like a uh, like a not even a variation, but an extension of true crime at this point. Yeah, yeah. and like we've talked about like um, we've talked about doing like. Like collaborating with uh, f- some friends who do a true crime podcast yeah, and letting for them sure. cover. I'm always under that. Letting them cover the true crime aspect, and then we and take we over for the haunting. Paranormal end. Yep. Yeah, 
And like, yeah, I think that would be cool. I, I agree. I would be so, so into that because like, I really like knowing what causes and what leads in, even though like this one is like, I almost felt like depressed going through it. Like it was that hard hit. It's sad, know? man. It's a and sad it's extremely sad, but I feel like sometimes it takes that to really know and really, and it just like adds so much more to what is being caused in the present day or what right. is being caused to, you know, at that time, like, you know, due to right. the previous previous issues or previous like encounters and things like that. So yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I don't know. I think it's pretty clear that. I mean, I don't know if it's pretty clear to most people, but to me, it makes sense <laughs> that that these extreme traumatic events inside a home can lead to these like echoes of trauma through the decades right i mean just to throw this out there before we go because we're we're about to wrap it up Mm -hmm. i think here um you know but look at it this way for the listener put yourself in this position think about your house that you feel very comfortable in you feel safe you know this is your your area where you can you know, you can be yourself you can go to hide from you know the dangers of the world and everything else imagine that crumbling and unfolding and something heinous happens that you know leads to this it just a terrible you know terrible event that continues to build up year after year after year causing this area to be infamous and you know building this energy holding this energy in place in time it's almost like it's frozen in time and then when all this unleashes like you know just again just put yourself in that position and how would you feel being especially being an outsider seeing in to this like and that's particularly this exact thing yeah you know like all this is built up over the years over a hundred years mind you Mm -hmm. that it's such a strong residual energy and feeling that it's remained there you know i mean even even just thinking like being in that location of something that could even even be something terrible yeah the world is a crazy crazy place you know uh, unfortunately, that's just the way things go, and I think that, like, to me, is the scariest thing about it. Absolutely. I mean, you often hear skeptics of hauntings say, like, "Oh, no matter, just pick a building and someone's died there." But there's a difference between exactly. someone dying and these like extreme examples of what human beings are capable yeah. of, right? These just like exactly. explosions of the deep end of the human psyche. You know, Mm -hmm. I feel like those have like those have an impact beyond just a a simple passing. Think about how much how much energy they're bringing along with it during that time. Yeah, how much darkness is inside that person when they're committing? Yeah, and for it fully to unleash, and then it gets suppressed and stuck. Yeah, you know. So yeah, I mean that's, that's that's all I have to say. You know. And that's like that's the whole concept behind the like stone tape theory, which like you know if we want to go for another two hours, we can get into that. I know, like, yeah, no, I think that's the per that's yes, a perfect note to yep. that's a perfect note to end on. 
I think so. We'll uh, we'll get back at it another episode. But until then, I think that uh, concludes episode twenty six, the Velisca Axe Murder House. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week, and it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you, so please come and check us out on all the socials. At campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook, at campfire.totsau on Twitter, and you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it it's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling and a special thanks to greg martin at reverent music on instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief you can find more of his tunes at reverbnation.com slash reverent it's fantastic fantastic stuff go give that a listen and that's it until next time i'm ryan i'm jordan And remember, campers, stay weird and trust in the unknown.